For those that uh, might be visiting with us this morning, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Evergreen, and I'm super thrilled to be the one that gets to share uh, scripture with you this morning. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more. This is going to wrap up our Christmas series, uh, but I want to talk a little bit more about this Christmas season and the, the, the true meaning of Christmas. What really is Christmas all about? And what does Scripture specifically mean by the name of the child born a virgin, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us? The, this theme of God being with us is actually the, the centerpiece of this entire season. Jesus Christ was born to be with us, the presence of God returning to be with his children. Now, it's this presence that gives us the true meaning of Christmas, God with us, Emmanuel. But in our culture today, we struggle to recognize his ongoing presence. We have a busy, broken world, and even us as Christians live day by day, moment by moment, completely unaware of God's presence with us. Now, both Tamil and myself have taught about different things that tend to distract us from being aware of God's presence in the here and now of life. And so our hope has actually been through this Christmas season to help you become more aware that God is with us. To become aware that God wants to be part of every single moment, every single minute of your life. That your life can actually be lived in the presence of our creator, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So last week, I introduced you to a very simple concept. It's a concept that I use in my own life, and I thought that it might help you to become more aware of God being present in your life. And I talked about putting sticky notes and reminders on your phone, and, and to, to just with one simple phrase on it, are you awake? There we go. Are you? <laughs> are you awake? And how I use this to just consciously wake me up to the fact that God is present. And so my phone will just pop up and say, are you awake? And I'll have a sticky note somewhere that says, are you awake? If I open the Bible, are you awake will pop up in front of me. And so we try to make this as practical as possible. Now, I want to urge you to live in this moment. I urged you about that last week, and I'm going to keep dwelling on that a little bit. We need to stop dwelling on the past, and we need to stop dwelling in the future, but we need to learn to rest in the only thing that is actually real, which is the right now. Now, as wonderful as it is to become more consciously aware of God's presence, this is actually only the first step into practicing God's presence Daily, always. So today, I want to expand a little bit on last week. I want to show us that being conscious of something, now hear, hear me out, listen very carefully. Being conscious of something doesn't always translate into living what we are conscious of. Have you ever, not, have you ever noticed this? That you can be completely aware of something, but that awareness doesn't change your reality? It doesn't create change or a new direction. It only creates awareness. Like, for instance, a good example of this would be that I am fully aware that I am slightly chubby. 
you know, for my frame, for my build, I'm only like five foot eight, five foot nine, six foot in my mind. <laughs> but I, I, I'm actually super aware that I'm a, a little bit chubby. I don't need to go to the doctor to get reminded. I don't need my 15-year-old son to constantly poke me in the belly and remind me that I'm chubby. I am fully aware of that fact, yet I do very little about it when it comes to implementing change in my habits. So in order to make our awareness a practical life-changing reality, we have to learn actually more about how we think and what actually drives our actions. I've been quoting a theologian by the name of Gregory Boyd. He's a theologian and a pastor. And he says this, he says, unless you've taken intentional steps to change, the way you presently experience yourself and the world around you is mostly chosen for you, not by you. So the way that you perceive the world around you was mostly chosen for you, not by you. I'm going to unpack this statement for you a little bit. Now, I'm not a psychologist, although I do read lots about it. But most psychologists, as I read their literature, would teach about how we perceive the world around us based on a concept of basic neurological development. So the basics of how our brain develops from the moment we are born. Our brains learn and inherit a way of interpreting the world. Our brains since birth have been in the process of being programmed by factors that are outside of our own personal control. Your parents, your friends, your culture that you live in, the media that, you, that saturates your life, and other life experiences have all played parts in the programming of how your brain perceives this very moment. Now, most of this programming is actually really quite good, but not all of it has manifested itself in a good way. But the reality is that all of these factors actually contribute to how each individual perceives the world around them. And if, I don't know if you've ever noticed or paid attention, but we all have a slightly different bend on this very moment right now. And each of these experiences, all of these different things, they contribute to how we also read and interpret the Bible. And they contribute to what we fear in life and what makes us happy in life. Essentially, we're shaped at a very young age to not notice the presence of God. Instead, we're shaped to perceive the world around us based on survival self-preservation, and often vanity. Essentially, we're all shaped at a very young age to not notice God. The Bible calls this something. It talks about this actually a lot. It says that it's the flesh mindset. It's a mindset that scripture says that we are actually born into because of original sin. So this isn't actually something that you can avoid. Remember I said this is something you can't control. It's a mindset that is part of our broken world, and it separates us from God's presence. It's embedded in us in the way we perceive things. This flesh-based thinking is actually extremely, extremely subtle. 
And it drives who we are and how we perceive the world around us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this conflict that we have happening in our mind, even when we don't realize it's happening. He says in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 7, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Now, see how Paul is contrasting two different ways of thinking. And he's showing us that this is a reality for each of us. We each have these two different ways of thinking. One is based on the flesh and the other is based on the spirit. And it's important to recognize that we all have this conflicting mindset and we all naturally struggle with it. If in your mind you were like, no, 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 I'm not like that. You just proved my point. Because that's thinking in the flesh. Now, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I could write a list right now of all the behaviors and customs of this world that we have copied in this service alone. In your conversations out in the foyer, in the cars that you drove in with. All of these different things is us copying the behaviors and customs of our culture, our North American culture. We are copying customs of this world, yet scripture says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Now listen to what he says, though. He says, but God, let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. He says, then, then is an important transitional word that says, here's the result of what I just said to you. So don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then here's what will happen. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul's pointing out to us that we are constantly battling this subtle flesh mindset that pulls us away from God. And it's a mindset that has been subtly built into us biologically. It's been learned in our environment and it's part of our psychological makeup. In the counseling world, we call this the biopsychosocial phenom. Those are the three things that have shaped the way that we think, the way that we perceive the world. And what Paul's telling us is that our brain, which is actually driven by sin, must be reoriented or renewed into a new way of thinking, the way that God calls us to think. So essentially, because of our makeup being sin-filled, our brains are like on autopilot. And they're shaping how we perceive these things around us. And we don't even actually notice our slant on how we shape things. Have you ever spent time with somebody who thought, I just don't understand why they see something that way. Because I see it like this. This is what I'm talking about. And it subtly drives who we are. And when our brains are on autopilot, what happens, folks, 
is we believe the constant lies that our brain tells us because our brain is really good at trying to keep us safe, but really crappy at actually keeping us safe. It's like somebody that's scared of flying. What caused that? Why can this person get on an airplane and this person can't? And what about the person who's scared of flying but has never actually flown? And when you talk to them, they're very aware that flying is safer than driving, but yet they're still fearful of this. This is the makeup of our brain, and we've experienced things that shapes how we see the world. And the Bible actually talks a lot about this, that, that our brains are actually pre-programmed to take, let the flesh take captive of the way that we think. And our experiences have driven our perceptions of the world around us. Yet as Christians, we're called to change the way that we think, to reorient our brain, to change the way that we perceive the world. Scripture contrasts two ways of shaping our minds. Essentially, what the Bible says is we can be double-minded where our thoughts are conflicted and the outcome is often not what God wants. Or we can learn to be single-minded where we give up our thoughts to God's presence. Now, I want to get super, super practical with you today. And so we are going to land this with some super practical things. And so the Bible talks an awful lot about this. And I really struggled to, to what scriptures am I going to actually use? And so I chose to dive into the, the, the book of James. And the reason that I want to hear what, what Jesus' brother James has to say is because a lot of theologians in the past, Martin Luther, anybody ever heard of him? Uh, Martin Luther actually argued that the book of James should not even be in Scripture. It shouldn't exist. But if you look at what Martin Luther struggled with, you then go, oh, I get it. Because James is incredibly practical and incredibly blunt. He's not really super worried about how you're going to process this. He just thinks, I don't have enough time to worry about that. You just need to hear it. And so I think James is going to help us quite a bit today. So listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, what he does when it comes to talking about being double-minded or being single-minded. At first in James chapter 1, verse 6, he's talking about prayer. And he says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. You see, often when we're praying and we're asking God uh, for different things, we have this conflicted way of thinking. And he's saying, you know, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Do you see what James is doing here? James points out our constantly conflicted mind. Part of you believes, but the other part of you wavers. And which one is it going to be? Which one is going to drive the way that you live? And James actually goes on and he labels this something. In James chapter 8, so if we jump from verse 6 to verse 8, he says that these people who are divided, who are wavering, their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they're unstable in everything that they do. Now, James is speaking to Christians. 
And he's saying that in our faith, our loyalty is often divided between God and the world. In the context of this, he's talking about prayer. And he says that if your loyalty is divided between God and the world, then you are unstable, not just in some things that you do, not just occasionally, but you're actually unstable in everything that you do. We are a whole bunch of unstable people. Can I get an amen? We'll we'll turn you guys into charismatics yet. Now, here's another thing you need to understand. This is a normal human condition that we all suffer from. No one is exempt from it. No one has got... If you've got this completely figured out, then you're probably with Jesus. (laughs) This is a normal human condition that we all suffer from. Our loyalty, folks, is conflicted. We love God, but we love the world. It doesn't take much more than 30 seconds for us to prove that that conflict exists daily in our lives. And some of the translations, like the NIV, for instance, calls this being double-minded. And the reason that James says double-mindedness is unstable is because it stops us from living what we profess. It's actually, folks, my double-mindedness that stops me from doing something about my weight. I I know that it's a problem. I'm very aware of it. But it's way easier to do nothing about it and actually, frankly, much more enjoyable. (laughs) My loyalty is divided between bad habits and good habits, isn't it? I'm aware. I've been educated about the risks of being overweight. I'm a pastor, so think of how many funerals that I've done. But I'm unable to take what I know and take that and change my current reality. All because of this internal conflict that I don't even often recognize exists. Folks, knowing doesn't always equal doing. This is why our discipleship models in the church that are based on simply acquiring cognitive information about God, going to Bible studies and learning about God, doesn't create lasting transformation. The only thing that can cause lasting transformation is learning to be single-minded. This is when my brain takes the information that I've received and connects it with action. This is when my brain says, Jeff, you're chubby. Jeff, eat a salad from Wendy's with chicken on top. Baby steps. This explains something. This explains why someone can believe that God loves them, can profess God as their loving Savior, their loving Father, yet still feel so unloved. Our mind is subtly still on autopilot, 
And it's telling us lies that our sin-filled world has embedded into our thinking. And so this is why Paul says that we have to renew our minds, that we must learn to be single-minded. Now, he says learn, which means it takes time, which means it's not this automatic, I profess Jesus, and I automatically think differently. If you knew Jeff 20-some years ago, you would know that Jeff is still a massive work in progress. I mean me, not Jeff. I don't think, is there any Jeffs here? No, I'm the only one. That's unusual. I sit on the Ontario board for our denomination, and I think there's three or four of us. They're like Jeff, and we all go, what? Anyway, I want you to hear something. Listen very carefully to this. No amount of New Year's resolutions, sermons, Bible studies, self-help books, or conferences will rectify our double-mindedness. But those are all the things that we try to seek out as Christians, aren't they? If I just uh, attend a woman's conference, if I go to Promise Keepers, I'll be transformed as a man. If I just listen to Jeff's sermons more, maybe they'll make sense. That was supposed to be funny. Folks, these things give us information. But if we don't learn to do something with the information, we will never live transformed. So this is why Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God, to make the kingdom of God your biggest priority. You have to make the kingdom of God a bigger priority than you, than your kids, than your wife, than your husband. The kingdom of God is what we are to seek first. And he's calling us by this statement to practice single-mindedness. And now James also contrasts this for us. And he gives us really practical advice on how to move from being subtly double-minded to single-minded. Listen to what James says in chapter 1, starting at verse 16. He says, so don't be misled. I'll give you a Bible 101 interpretation lesson. When he says, don't be misled, he is saying we have been misled. He says, so don't be misled. Above that, he says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled. My dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes, from, comes down to us from God, our Father. So the good and the perfect cannot be created by us. It only comes from God, the Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. Now listen to this. It says, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us to his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, so he's laid a foundation, and now he wants you to, in understanding that concept, my dear brothers and sisters, you must learn to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it, is the, for it has the power to save your souls. Isn't that a huge statement? That God has planted the word into your hearts and that is what has the power to save your souls. Not a prayer, but something that God has placed in you. But, I love the buts of the Bible, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then... God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, okay, that's everybody who professes Christ. Okay? If you claim to be religious, I love that, I love that, that, that lead in. Something we're claiming, but it might not be something we actually are. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. Now listen, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let me unpack this for you really quickly. Jesus teaches us some extremely important practical lessons that can transform your life. He says, remember most of the time you're being deceived. That's a good starting point to understand that most of the time your head is actually deceiving you. What you think is right, what you think should be done is actually usually deceptive. Nothing good actually comes from this broken world. The Bible's super clear about that. We can argue about it all you want. It's not a very long argument because the Bible's super, super clear that as of chapter three in this book, it's not gone well. The only good that there is in this world comes from God. I also want you to understand that the bad of this world comes from us. I'll get into that another day. God is consistent. He never changes. So rest in the fact that God is who he says he is, our good father who only wants what is good for you. Although sometimes what is good for you doesn't feel so good. Now James transitions in what he's teaching us. He gives us some practical advice that is going to work on renewing our mind in the practical sense. He says these practical things. Now, remember, I can be aware that my mind needs to be renewed, but it's never actually renewed. We have to get practical. And he says, listen more than you talk. That's a good practice to, to begin to live in your life. And the reason is, is because you might begin to understand someone else's perspective. In the psychological world, they call this emotional intelligence. The ability to actually put yourself in another person's shoes to understand where they come from. Most of our fighting as human beings 
is actually a lack of emotional intelligence. We are unable to understand why this person is saying what they're saying. We only hear it from our perspective, and we're unable to understand theirs. But an emotionally intelligent person who listens more than they talk can begin to see the perspective of the other person and then navigate those perspectives. And then he says, watch your attitudes and seek humility. Now, what he means by that is our attitudes in our worst moments. It's easy to be nice when you're like in a good mood and life is awesome, right? And you're talking to your best friend. But what are we like with the person we despise the most? Actually, the analogy I usually use is what are we like when we're in our cars? And then he says, seek humility. In other words, if you want to be noticed, if you want to be important, you're not seeking humility. But our brains often say, I wish you'd notice me. I wish you'd see that I'm special. We actually serve and and do all kinds of things in the church with the community with the intentions of building up ourselves. And we're missing the humility that it actually takes to serve the way God calls us to. I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, these are simple things that will help you to begin to think like God. But there's some even more practical things that James gets into, and these are things that can change the way you think longer term. Serve those who are less fortunate than you and make them your priority. Now, I caveat that, that it has to include all the things above. So if you're serving those who are less fortunate than you to make yourself feel good about how good you're serving Jesus, you're not doing it with humility and you've missed the point. Your flesh mind is actually what's driving you to serve. What James is talking about is actually making people who are less fortunate than you your priority, not because you have to, not because you want to, but because that's what the Spirit drives you to. And this is actually the only religion that God actually accepts. So he's talking about practically reorienting the way you think by practically living your life for others. And when you practice these things while being aware of God's presence in your life, the way you think will begin to change and your loyalty will become less divided. Unless your whole driving force is you. Spirit versus self. That's the way that the Bible talks about it. Flesh Or spirit-driven? What is it that's driving these things? Folks, isn't this exactly what the Christmas season is actually all about? Being kind to others, thinking of others before yourself, being generous, gathering together as family and friends. Like, for instance, instead of just your family who you have no choice but to like, invite someone who's lonely over. Let them become part of your Christmas. 
Now, when you get the heebie-jeebies about that, there's your check. What's your motive? You see, Jesus is telling us that the only way to become single-minded is to become others-centered. And over time, as you practice God's presence by thinking of others, your mind will be renewed and you'll see the world more like God does. Now, our mind will also play different tricks on us. It tells us lies. It tells us that, oh, I'm not serving properly. Oh, I'm not doing the... And we dwell, like I talked about last week. We dwell in the past. We let our past shape us. We can't change it, but yet we let it completely control who we are. Or we spend all our time worrying about the future and we get completely polarized by the thought of what's next. And we never live in the right now because our brain keeps pulling us away from right now. And so you have to learn to practice basic things that teach you to not believe the lies that our flesh-filled mind has, has subtly become accustomed to. And we have to learn to declare things that claim who we actually are in Christ. Who the Bible says you are, not who you are saying you are, not who your friends say you are, not who your culture or Facebook or Instagram say you are, but who Jesus actually says you are. Now, I do this in a really practical way. Some of you may like this, some of you may not, so throw it out if you don't care, or adopt it if you love it, and I'll have copies for you at the Hub if you want it. But I do something called a daily declaration, and I declare over my mind what Scripture says I actually am. So none of these words, these are all saturated in scripture. They are all uh, who the Bible says that I am compared to my brain. So whenever my brain says that I'm not this, I know that I'm being told a lie. And so I practice this on a regular basis. So I'm going to just share some of these with you. Because of Jesus, so that's the caveat. Because of Jesus, I'm a child of God. I'm a spiritual contributor, not a spiritual consumer. I am absolutely petrified to become a spiritual consumer. Somebody that just sits in a chair, feed it to me, serve me, give it to me, and I'm going to do nothing. Like, I'm just petrified of that. I'm alive. I do need to regularly remind myself that I'm still living. What I actually mean is I'm alive in Christ. Because of Jesus, I'm alive. I am faith-filled, life-speaking, I'm a faith-filled, life-speaking, fully devoted follower of Christ. So when my brain tells me different, I go back to what scripture tells me I am. I'm a, I am Christ's ambassador. I'm a masterpiece. That one's my favorite. <laughs> I'm content in Christ alone. It's a big one. I'm chosen. I'm determined to love God and people with everything I have. I'm a child of God. I, I put that twice because I think it's super important. Notice different scripture though. I'm strengthened by God who upholds me, protects me, and defends me. I'm joyful. I'm gentle. I'm not easily offended and will not hold on to bitterness. I'm patient. I'm faithful, I'm self-controlled, I'm kind, I'm known even before I was born, I'm steady, I'm not alone, God is with me, and I am loved. 
I'm fierce in confidence and boldness because God is with me. I'm free. I'm healed. Folks, don't wallow. You are healed. We don't wallow in brokenness. We don't let whatever happened in the past shape our now. You're healed. I'm unashamed. I'm called and equipped to go after the righteous desires that God has put in my heart. I'm strong. I'm fearless. I'm secure. This is everything the Bible says that I am. Have you met me? Now, here's the one that anybody in church leadership should realize. I am not a people pleaser because I answer to God first and seek to please him. I'm a new creation. I'm not shaken. I'm not struck in worry because Jesus offers a peace that this world cannot give. I'm born again. If you don't like the language of born again, you don't like biblical language. That's interesting to me when people argue, oh, you born agains, and you're not. That's interesting. Because you're claiming Christ, you're claiming to be religious, but oh, those born agains. The Bible says you must be born again. That's biblical language. Anyway, I am more than a conqueror. I am named by God, not labeled by man. I'm the light of the world. I'm mighty in his power. And I am the church. And I exist for the world. You see, I go through these things on a regular basis because it renews my mind. It reorients me. It reminds me how much my mind lies to me because it's flesh-oriented. It's conflicted. And so we need to be reminded. And so you may like to use that, you may not. I have copies of it if you want it. I think I stole it from someone else. I think maybe Craig Greer Shell or something like that. Anyway. We can experience, when we can experience all of life against the backdrop of God's ever-present love, moment by moment, it makes us single-minded. Every moment we remain aware of and submitted to God's presence becomes a kingdom moment. Why? Because if we're submitting to God's presence, if we're seeking his kingdom first, we are then defined by King Jesus, the reign of that king. And when we remain awake to God's loving presence in any given moment, we allow that moment to manifest God's life rather than the pre-programming of our flesh mindset. As we practice God's presence through caring for others, our minds learn to think like God thinks and we become more like Jesus. But we do have to check the lies that are told in our brain about why we need to serve. It has to be spirit-driven, and you do not want credit for it. Learn to become aware of the truth that God's word gives by declaring these truths over your mind and over your life, and learn to submit yourselves, the worship team can join me, 
to God through becoming aware of his loving daily presence in your life. Folks, if you could get anything out of this sermon series, the thing that I want you to grasp the most is that you can live your life in his presence, aware of his presence, driven by the Holy Spirit, caring for others, making sacrifices for the less fortunate, declaring the truth that the word gives us. Or you can make Christmas all about you. You can make every each moment all about you. You can perceive everything someone says to you to be about you. Or you can see yourself the way God sees you. And his presence, folks, offers for you a living sacrifice that offers transformation so that you can be made new, so that you can be transformed in the likeness of Christ, so that your mind can be renewed. But don't believe the lie.